world, and welcome back to the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Levy. We have with us again, as usual, all of my bosses, all three of them. Brian Park, how's it going, Brian? Good. I'm going to try and hire a fourth boss for you. Oh, that's the last thing I need. I'm going to have a boss for every day of the week soon. Do you know how many people it takes to like keep you occupied? Yeah. <laughs> to keep me moving? <laughs> keep you productive? Yeah. <laughs> uh, James, speaking of productive people, James is probably our most productive people. James Smurthwaite from the UK. James, how's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks, Mike. And Casimir. Casimir, how's it going? Did you ride? Doing great. On the weekend, yeah. Kaz? Both well, days? Well, one day, I, no, I didn't ride on Saturday because it was raining all day. Oh. That was my rest day. I rode yesterday for like six hours. So. Yeah. So today's show is from a reader request. Mikey MT, he said, guys, I want to listen to you talk about setup, dorking out on setup, not just suspension, but the little stuff, how your cleats are, all those little things. But first, we're going to go into our question. Today's question, what is your favorite full suspension design? Uh, do you prefer something that's just like good all around or maybe something that focuses on uh, one or two performance metrics at maybe the expense of something else? Casimir, what do you like? I mean, it's hard to go wrong with a horse link setup as far Boring. as... Boring. That's not my favorite though. You know, let me okay. talk. Yeah, horse link, you know, you can hop on those. They're usually pretty easy to set up. They've come to a good place. But I do like the Eddie Switch Infinity system. I've had a lot of uh, good rides on their bikes in the last few years, so I think they're onto something pretty cool there. It seems to do, do a remember, lot of things well. Do you guys remember when it was so dogmatic? Like, no, VPP is the best. No, ABP is the best. No, FSR, it's nothing. Fobar. It, oh, like, it was still a, like that. No, but it isn't. People have gotten over suspension. I mean, it's they're come fun. to a pretty good place now where it's rare that you hop on one and you're like, this thing is not right. I mean, haven't some but, but But it was never, like, like, a horse link was never that much dramatically better than uh, a single linkage driven single pivot inherently like you can look at the from the number stuff and go oh hey you can do quite a lot with a linkage driven single pivot you know it's people have stopped being so dogmatic i think yeah. you don't well, go into a while, the bike shop every, and yeah well plus for a while not everybody could use horse link because specialized still owned it yeah. now everyone can use pretty much whatever so yeah brian is, is yours single pivot linkage driven no it would be I mean, I've said it a billion times is that like suspension is over or suspension stuff is probably overrated compared to geometry. How's that so, hard tail treating you? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> 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 My arms are so itchy. <laughs> um, right now, Brian's like, I'll take any suspension. Any suspension. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I would say probably a, a, a horse link is, is, I'm, I'm team horse link. Do you hear those crickets, everybody? Yeah, chirp. <laughs> What's yours, Lee? Just, you guys got nothing to say because it's right. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, there's no, I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no wrong answer. Uh, I'm going to go with the DW link, like a short travel DW link thing. Uh, they always feel super sporty. Um, lots of pop, lots of energy to them. A um, little harsh. Like they definitely have some drawbacks sometimes, but yeah, that's kind of what I like. Well, like. Unlike a lot of the other systems, they actually have like kind of a signature feel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I think you could say, I think, I mean, an engineer can make a horse link feel however they want it to feel yeah. for Which sure. Why but I said horse link. Yeah. But I think a lot of people associate horse links with like active bikes that maybe don't feel super energetic. Um, that That's what I think about them anyway, a lot of times. James, what do you like? Um, as the, the only Brit here, I'll, I'll stick up for the single pivot and say, yes. 
you know, simple, effective. Yeah. Job done. Yeah. But like a, a linkage driven one or like a orange actual single pivot? Um, well, I, I was thinking. How many, thinking bear- how many bearings are allowed? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking orange, but like I'd like to try one of those, those high pivot, single pivot things, you know, with the idlers. I've never tried one of them. They look cool. So maybe I go with that. All right, James, tell us about the news. <laughs> um, big, big news this week, I guess, uh, unfortunately, was Crankworks being cancelled. Um, we probably saw the writing on the wall with this one, with the whistle at EWS going uh, in April. But yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a shame. Um, obviously, Pinkbike, we go there every year and then have our big tent there, but uh, not this year. Uh, thankfully, it's set to come back 2021 and we still have Innsbruck uh, in September to look forward to. Innsbruck Bike Park actually just opened this weekend, so that looks like it could be kind of likely. Yeah, Crankworks is sort of like our home event. It's about 20 or 30 minutes down the road. Uh, it's a big deal for us, so I think we're we're all pretty bummed about that. Anything else? Anybody want to say anything? Yeah, I mean, no, I, I like Frankfurt. Yeah, of all the events, it's probably my favorite, like big event of the year, just because I get to ride a ton. Yeah, we get to ride like event. every day in the best place in the world. Yeah, it's not it's terrible. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and Sushi Village has good food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sometimes you tomahawk down a mountain. It's yeah, it's great. Miss all the crankworks. That's your fault for taking a helicopter to the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna ride some electric created trails, so that offsets it. Oh, yeah. electrically created trails yeah exactly you like electric chainsaws yeah like the the velo solutions guys oh yeah oh we're going to talk about that in a sec what they have electric diggers i don't know yeah, I didn't yeah. that's what happened electric diggers they used e-bikes to get like to the top and uh all charged from like there's like a hydroelectric dam nearby so and, and then uh, and then you can take a heli to, to yeah, laps. Sure, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just a cable car like probably just as bad but um yeah that that got you know Quite a few, I guess, kind of snidey comments about well, where the batteries come from and X, Y, Z. But uh, you know, I think it's a you know a good step to to be considering that sort of stuff. Some of the stuff we saw um, this week, Kaz, in your checkout, I saw the two hundred and fifty dollar sender manual mach- machine caught a lot of flack. Have you guys ever used one of these? I can't say I see the point in them when like a patch of grass is free. Um, I mean, the benefit is stationary, and I have used it now that I have it. But it's still, it's more of like a a way that you could you could get used to the the position that you're supposed to be in to manual. But it's not going to magically teach you how to manual. Like even if you use it every day for weeks and weeks, you could still go out and probably not manual. It's it's crazy the people talking shit on this thing who have two thousand dollar carbon wheels and thousand dollar forks. Like people, this is meant to help you get better at riding and manual is like it's not a mandatory skill but it sure makes a lot it's of a mandatory easy. skill it is crazy how many mountain bikers can't wheelie i'm not trying to talk shit about people but like you got to be able to get your front wheel up you know like and something like this if it makes it easier i've landed on my tailbone i've been in the hospital because of that. i had a multi-tool down in my swat pocket and i looped out and landed on it and i yeah i couldn't i just sleep on my stomach for like a week it was very bad <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it is, this thing is expensive and you can definitely make yours own at home, but not everybody knows how to even use tools to make things. So I think it's cool that it exists. I could see coaches having it, or if you had like a, you know, a riding camp or something, have one, kick it around so people can play around with it. So it's pretty fun to check out. I've used it a few I, times yeah. now. I was, if you can't I was manual, all geared up. don't talk shit. <laughs> I was so, I was gearing up to like talk shit, but then Levy, you do have a good point. Like spending money on skills instead of spending money on 
carbon wheels yeah. is a pretty easy argument. Levy one, Brian Park zero. Oh. <laughs> Levy one, Brian yeah, Park nine hundred thirty-two. Damn it! I'll take it though. You come back, come back, Levy. Yeah. And um, we also saw Roval's Control SL team issue wheels. Levy, this was a first look of yours. Very light, very fancy looking wheel set. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very wide, too. So the thing here is there's lots of wheels out there that are this light or close to it and have rims or they use rims that are in like the 300 and something gram range. It's hard to believe, but like there are a handful of rims out there that are that light. The big thing with these is that they're super wide. I think they're, Kaz, are they 29 internal? I, th- I wrote the article. I think actually, that sounds right. Yeah. But, I think but that does sound right. But 29 millimeter internal and they're 1240 grams or something like that like ridiculous so i put them on the mondraker uh i've done a couple rides on them yeah i don't know they feel good they make me feel like i'm really fit that's always nice (laughs) well the cool thing is that they have those super wide rim walls like yes theoretically anyways to stop pinch flatting yeah exactly so if you think of your rim sidewall as the edge of a knife and you're coming down a trail and you're not paying attention and you smoke, your back tire smokes a big rock ledge, that edge of the rim, the knife, the skinnier it is, the more likely it is to cut your tire. So this is four millimeters wide on the revolves. I think a standard rim is a little more than two millimeters wide. So basically it's a duller knife. So it should cut less chance of cutting your tire. I'm about 150 pounds. I run low tire pressures here, like 20-ish PSI kind of thing. Uh, so we'll see how it works out. Yeah. And that weight is super, that's very, very light. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to put them on a bike. Where do you guys think that weight saving is coming from? Um, the rim is light, but it's not crazy light. It's, I think it's around 350 something grams. They have taken away so much material out of the hubs. There's basically nothing there that doesn't need to be there. Like even the face of the rotor mount, there's been material scooped out around there. When you start with a 350 gram rim, it's light. Uh, we got an update on the tenant film slash pedal situation. So back in December, we uh, we we spoke to Tenet and their logo kind of bore a strong resemblance to this new Christopher Nolan film, also called Tenet. So apparently, is after seeing the article, Warner Brothers reached out to Tenet. Later that day, they got an email from Christopher Nolan himself, and it seems like it's been settled pretty amicably. And Tenet, the film, has now changed its logo, so it doesn't look like Tenet, the pedal brand, which is cool. It's you know sometimes mountain biking seems like its own little bubble, but you know here it is going sort of in the same world as multi-million dollar films. Reminds me of the was it white. And rich energy or something? Yeah. The F1 team? Well, it's a very different situation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're talking logos. Yeah. Yeah, And there were some, I guess, movie nerds that were mad that Tenet would have called up uh, Christopher Nolan and kind of called him or taken him to task for this, which I thought was funny. Like, this is kind of like a David versus Goliath thing, but these nerds sided on Goliath's side, which... Wait, people are mad on the internet? Does that happen? I don't know. Yeah, apparently. Weird. Weird. (laughs) Yeah, people are just like, this should be good for you. What do you do this for? Why are you doing this? Because they're mad that now the font is slightly different on the new Tenet movie logo. But obviously. Maybe because they got tattoos of the old logo. (laughs) Probably. Their chest tattoos out of date now. (laughs) A a lot of them were saying, oh, well, you know, I've I've never heard of your company. So how can your logo be any good? And it's like, well, you've never left your basement. You're never going to hear about a mountain bike company, are you? But... (laughs) Uh, keeping on the pedal theme, we tested 12 flat pedals this week. We said uh, most grip was the Chromec Dagger, the best value, the Tenet Occult, and the best overall feel, the Nuke Proof Horizon. 
When you say best overall feel, Kaz, what do you what are you meaning? That means it's like the best mix of everything. So it's got good grip, the platform size and shape. Just get on it. It feels good. Like those Dagas, I really like those, but they might be a little bit too grippy, too huge for some people. Like they're best suited for more downhill mm-hmm. kind of applications. Did you adjust the traction on any of them? Change pin locations or height or any of that stuff? Because we see these companies talking about that, but I don't know if people do it. Yeah, well, people definitely do it. And I do it on my own. If I had a set that I was going to use for a long time, I end up like pulling a few pins out and messing around with things. Um, so I've, yeah, I'd say most of these I've experimented with different settings. Like on the Chrome mags in particular, if you take out the middle pin, it helps them make it feel more concave. That is a huge pedal though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big a, pedal. I like it. I'm bow-legged, so it's got a nice wide Q factor and it's pretty sweet. When's but the last then, time yeah, you the, clipped in, Kaz? Uh, yesterday. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was waiting for Levy to try and work in some snide comment. That, yeah. was, that was an honest question. I was just curious. Yeah. No, I go how back often, and flip. I'm, are you, how often are you on flats? How often are you on clippers? It's about half and half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually what determines like, it for you? Kind of what I'm going to be riding. More XC stuff, I'll definitely clip in like a long trail ride. Like yesterday's ride was, it really was like six hours. So I'd rather be clipped in and not have to, it just feels better. I don't know. And plus clipless shoes overall are better than flat pedal shoes. Yeah, but like for on the bike park and more downhill things, I do like being on flats, but I can go either way and it's fine. It's always a wake-up call for me. I, I use flats for a few weeks every year and I tell you that first few rides. <laughs> yeah, it takes a <laughs> so, yeah, I used to be flats only all the time until I started Same, yeah. this job, really. And then and I started clipping in again. I've gone back and forth, back and forth, but now I'm at a point where I can go either way and be just totally fine, which is yeah. nice. Do you have to adjust that much, Kaz? No, not really. Mm. Yeah, I'd say it's it's pretty easy now. But it did take a little bit. Like, I just made the commitment to be like, not only do one thing. When you said best overall, did you take price into consideration for that? Or was it just a performance to weight thing? Um, mostly performance to weight. I mean, all these pedals, no matter, even if they seem expensive, they're still all less than $200, which I know that is expensive for pair of pedals. But there wasn't any that were like $600 or anything crazy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I did rate like, the best value of those tenants. I think they're $100, $99, which is, you know, 70 bucks less than the more expensive ones. But um, best overall feel is yeah, more on the performance rather than price. Do you have a favorite platform pedal of all time, Casimir? Like, do you have some pedals squirreled away that these are your babies? No, not really. Because once they wear out and get kind of done, they're kind of done. Yeah. But those new crews are, I, I really do like those. But yeah. Do you remember those Synchros platform pedals that had the split steel pins? Yeah, those were pretty tough, weren't those, they? I think they were the mental pedals. Yeah. Those things were ridiculous. I have a set of those still. Do you guys remember the, the there was like a, an entire era where every single person had to ride Welgo MG1s? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Those were a good pedal for the day. They were around $100 Canadian, I think, and they lasted a long time. Yeah, black they mag, and skinny. They were light. They were good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then lastly, we had another uh, behind the numbers, this time of the Uno Dash, the made in Barcelona Cesar Rojo bike. So lots of anti-squat, low leverage ratios. Dan said it would kind of suit someone who likes to maybe pick up the bike and pick pick their lines carefully and things like that. So I spent a lot of time on that Uno Dash. I loved that thing. And it rode exactly how Dan described it. Very lively and liked to be off the ground, but not... Uh, it's not the longest bike, and the suspension definitely isn't the most active, so it never felt super stable. But if you're okay with that, yeah, it was that thing was great. And I mean, look at it. It, it makes people angry too, which is, also makes me like it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it is expensive, and it only comes in one size, and that size isn't long enough. So, yeah. 
All right, let's get to our reader questions. We got a whole bunch this round. This guy's got quite the name. Uh, Beachy Beachy Velo. Is there any body armor that fits tall and or skinny people? He says he's tried, but they seem built on the assumptions that humans top out at five foot nine, and also that anyone over five foot six weighs around two hundred pounds or more. Casimir, you're kind of tall and skinny. Do you, do you got anything? I don't, really, I don't really wear body armor though. I think you need. You think he's talking about like a top, like a suit of armor kind of thing, like a pressure yeah. suit. Yeah, I don't really wear those. I might not be that much help. I mean, the new that Dionys makes some stuff that seems like it runs on the smaller sides. So you might try some of that. Or it's Italian stuff, so it's got to be like pro fit. It's all got to smith. Yeah, fit like the quite small, stuff, right? I be, yeah, I think we could try that. Or you'd think with his with his username, he'd be all over the Italian. Uh, yeah, yeah. So if anybody yeah, but, out there listening, if you're a tall guy and you got body armor, uh, tell Beachy Beachy Velo in the comments what you think of the stuff you're using. Yeah, and I think one thing to look for is like the back pad on a lot of these. If you are tall, it can become too short. Like your the back protector ends up not protecting your lower back, even if the rest of it fits. So that is something that I've noticed that before. So yeah, it's one of those kind of try before you buy type things. And mm-hmm. See, some of them you can actually get a different length back protector and then the rest of the thing is the same size. So yeah. Um, okay, so Race Facer, he wants to know, uh, have aluminum frames been getting heavier? Back in the day, they used all these fancy tube sets with all these fancy names, ZR9000, Easton Scandium, that kind of stuff. Rad. Rad, rad Easton Rad tubing. Uh, it wasn't aluminum, but I did have a steel Le Mans 853 bike, if we're talking about tubing. Uh, but yeah, people used to love tubing. They used to get all all dorky about it. And it doesn't seem like that's happening anymore. Oh, I've got a story, though, about tubing that... It's, I can't say the company because it still exists, but they have a bike out there that says Reynolds tubing because, you know, Reynolds is like yeah. the hot shit. The only Reynolds tube on there is just the seat tube. Is that the yeah. tube wow. that the sticker's on? Uh-huh. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. how they Technically do it. correct is the Technically best correct. correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's pretty Your Reynolds clever, tubing actually. bike. Well, yeah. <laughs> so wow. What do yeah. you, uh, what do you say about that, Casmer? Obviously, carbon has got something to do with this, but. Tell me yeah, I mean, I think frames getting heavier probably has to do that bikes are getting longer. So if you're you're on a bike now that might have been considered an XL a few years ago, um, but now it's you know large or medium. So you got more material and bikes, the things we're doing with bikes now, people are pushing them a little bit further. And I think companies are erring towards the side of caution to make things a little stronger. Bikes bikes used to break a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now definitely. they break less a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think another factor too is companies designing aluminum bikes that sort of mirror the lines of their carbon bikes. Mm. Uh, So Santa Cruz is a good example of this. Their aluminum frames are relatively heavy, I've been told. And that's just, if it's aluminum and it's designed like this to look like this, it's going to be a little bit heavier. You're right, race race surfacer, that everything is kind of hydroformed and swoopy now. And it's not, it's generally not for strength or stiffness or weight it's it is for looks the 99% of the time your your most efficient shape would be a straight round tube it's probably a good thing that you know you can get an aluminum six inch travel frame that weighs nine pounds instead of five pounds you know i think that's that's a good thing people don't want their shit to break anymore but if we could get both and have it be light and strong i'm all for that uh moving on i'm gonna answer this one rubber rally he says wouldn't a better question be, why are we not doing a DH bike field test? After all, what type of bike has undergone the biggest changes in the last two years? 
And I would argue that it certainly isn't downhill bikes. Downhill bikes haven't changed the most over the last couple of years. It's probably been trail bikes and enduro bikes before that. Also, you know, downhill bikes, people love to talk about them and they're pretty cool. There's a lot of neat technology there. A lot of great ideas get flushed out there, um, but not a lot of people actually own these things. A lot of people have trail bikes and cross-country bikes around the world. Downhill bikes are cool, but very, very small slice of the pie. I will add that we were looking at doing a downhill bike field test this year, and we're going to bop over to Champery, where uh, one of our editors lives. But obviously, that's not possible right now. So we may see one in the future. Yep. Yep. We haven't forgotten about downhill bikes rarely. Don't worry. There's some new ones coming out that you'll be reading about soon. Moving on. Actonka. Actonka? He says he loved to see a discussion on trail management and design and what changes as bikes become more and more capable. How much do trail builders need to consider before future-proofing these trails when they're designing them? Should classics be updated with new challenges as the bikes and the skills progress? Yeah, what do you guys think? Well, there's kind of a follow-up question from somebody else, binary bike, about wondering about the wheel size side of things. Like, how come the geometry of the trail uh, is, so, is rarely mentioned as a deciding factor in, in bike design. And it is the whole trail design and bike design thing is quite chicken and egg. What do you think comes first? Nowadays, I'd say across the board, worldwide, there are more trails with features on them as far as whether it's jumps or, or berms or kind of man-made things. So that's one factor that's come into play. I think that it really is such a local issue. You know, where you live is, you could have a whole different style of riding than somewhere else. Like here where I live in Washington, we have some pretty actually really big jumps just on our local trails that most places probably don't have have you hit those um, things yet kes uh not the biggest ones yet no they're not open yet but they're big and some pretty good looking things yeah they're <laughs> huge where levy lives like there's some pretty rowdy rocky things that most places don't have so like trail builders future proofing i think trail builders just build what they have in their minds basically like you don't build the trail thinking like this is perfect for a 32 inch hard deal like you build it because you're like, this is a rad place to put a trail. I'm going to put one here. Yeah. I think a lot of trail want. builders too, they build trails that they want to ride. And I think a lot of builders, like if I'm going to go out and build something, to be honest, I'm not, I haven't done much of these days. We used to go out and build all sorts of one hit wonders and stuff. And we would, when we would build these things, we would build them just beyond what we thought we should be doing. You know, we would build our trails to be, or our trails or our stunts to be, a little more advanced because we wanted to progress. I think some trail builders are probably, especially around here in Squamish, are doing that as well. To address the specific question, should old classics be updated with new challenges as bike technology and skills progress? Um, what's wrong with just making new trails? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think so. And I do think that you see old classics updated here. Like there used to be some really weird skinnies and like kind of sketchy little things, maybe drops to flat. Like even the shore used to be known for drops yeah. to flat were everywhere. There's some transitions in there now that I found, you know, so... I think updated. also, if anything, the opposite is happening. We're seeing trails being changed to make them easier more than more difficult, or instead of more difficult, we're seeing way more berms and things like that. And bikes are obviously getting more and more capable, but I think that's just bike companies. Like bike companies want to make better bikes, you know? And I don't think it has anything to do with trails getting harder because I don't know if that's happening. Remember when Mike Levy made literally every mountain biker in the world mad by saying that trails were too good? Trails are too there good. Were too many berms in your in your yeah. area. Oh, it's true though. It's it still, is true. I still, yeah, that. Yeah, Casmer, you agree with me? Yeah, trails are getting too easy in some places. Like, luckily, again, where I live, there are some trails that are plenty hard. But there's also some trails that used to be super fun, and now there's berms where they didn't used to be, and I don't like that. 
Yeah. So the reason that I brought that up is updating old classics. What I don't want to see happening are people going up there and changing these trails to make them easier or change the the whole character of the trail. Build a different trail. Right. But you're, I'm okay if they're cutting out bad ideas from the, from the early 2000s. 100%. We can... Yeah, yeah, there's a difference between remove between, the skinnies. Yeah, well, there's a <laughs> difference between like getting rid of bad ideas and and making a trail enjoyable and updating it and dumbing it down. There are yeah. different things. Yeah. yeah, we have a person here that there's a there's a little trail, it's just kind of more of an XC trail, but it has on the climb there's a little root ball roots he had to you know get over and navigate. Well, someone went in and cut out the roots. So obviously the builder was pissed because it's his trail and, and those roots were there because they belong. So then he went in, he packed in some rocks and returned it to its techie bit but like the idea that you would go to a trail that's not yours and dumb it down makes i have a re- i have a really funny story so uh one of our local trails uh it's a climb actually but it has a on the descending section of the climb it has this like root ball thing and a builder had gone up there and covered them with dirt and uh i was sort of annoyed by this so i went up and i removed the dirt <laughs> to expose all the roots the next ride was pissing rain uh, we're coming up to that section. Guess who eats shit? Last question is from R.D. Wiggs. He says, why is the internal diameter of XC rims getting so wide? I think he means the width of the rim. Um, is the rolling speed tire shape better between a, he says, 25 millimeter wide rim and a, or a 29 millimeter wide rim? Uh, he's heard that sidewall support argument, of course, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but he also says, Loic and other downhill racers, EWS racers, a lot of them are still running skinny, relatively skinny rims with 25 millimeter-ish internal diameters. Uh, Kaz, what do you think? I mean, yeah, Loix on his own program and obviously 25 mil internal rims work great. But for these XC guys, basically they're able to run a little bit lower pressures now um, and still have that support. When lower pressures have gotten, I'd say, pretty dramatically lower in the last three to four years with these wider rims. And over the course of a race, it's given them more traction and more comfort and they can still go just as fast. So um, their width of the tires has gotten wider as well. Like this year we saw Maxis introduce the 2.4 inch, the Recon and Aspen, which is their um, kind of racy tires. So, Are the uh, are the XC focused uh, higher volume tires, um, are, do they have a rounder profile than some, than say a high roller or something? I think, I think they usually do have a rounder mm-hmm. profile and obviously a relatively low knob height as well too. So you're kind of getting more of that. It's touching the ground. You're getting more grip, um, but you're still having pretty low rolling resistance. So that kind of all goes hand in hand. Yeah. And low tire pressure doesn't mean more rolling resistance either. I think that's something. Well, it does after a certain point. It definitely does after a certain point, but not between, you know, if you're running a skinniest rim and you have to run 24 PSI and then you go down to a wide rim, like that new Revol rim, it's 29 millimeters internal, and you go down to 20 PSI, you're gaining stuff there. You're you're gaining traction. You're not losing rolling speed, I would argue. I'd like to see some bro science on that. Yes, me too. <laughs> Well, I think there That's has good. been, and I think, well, yeah, we could. Well, there've been, there's been, there's been manufacturer funded, self-funded, self-researched. It's clearly better. Please buy it. Yeah. I don't know if we've seen a lot of, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my head on the block for, there's no disadvantage in terms of rolling resistance on that. 
I would put my head on the block that I would prefer the wider setup regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and you're not a full-on XC racer. He's asking about XC racers and wider. But Nino wider is motions. a full-on, and he's been running wider tires and wider rims and going pretty fast. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it, I mean a lot of it will come down to comfort and traction, and on the course is getting more comfortable. Or, sorry, the course is getting more technical over the last few years. Mm-hmm. They kind of need things that allow them to do a little bit more. Those guys do run very low pressures too. Like Nino's bike has got like two, three, five recons or something, front and back, something like that. Um, and they're right down in pressures like 20 or less. I guess this, this is a good little segue into our topic, our discussion topic for this podcast, which is dorking out on the little stuff, all sorts of bike setup things, uh, stuff like pedals, what pedals we prefer, um, do you do you like zero float, a ton of float, what handlebars you prefer, brake setup, tire and wheel pressures, saddle position, shock setup? There's a ton of different stuff, isn't there, Kaz? Yeah. And for yeah, as we- much as you and I disagree on things, we do agree on a couple things, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we figured that out at the last uh, field test down in Arizona. We were swapping bikes back and forth and it's kind of a good way to see what's different between our setups. Yeah, but one thing that we did have to change a lot during that field test was the pedals. What do you what do you use when you're clipping in, Kaz? Uh, usually these days it's Shimano. Uh, I just like the SPD system; it works well for me. But I know for you, you've got like you're always unclear. You can't get it tight enough, typically, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe a reader would have or a listener would have some advice for me. Um, so when I use a pedal like a, a standard SPD pedal, no matter how high the tension is, uh, my feet come out. They'll come out two or three times a ride, um, sometimes when I'm in the air, and always when I do not want to come out. Um, cleat angle seems to not make a difference. Um, cleat position doesn't change anything, but I mean, I, I watched a buddy of mine go off a jump, have his foot come off the pedal, and he straight-legged into the ground. He pushed his the two bones below your knee, he pushed them up through his knee and broke the bones above his, under his knee, like... like the worst. I don't want my feet to come off ever when I'm clipped in. Why are your feet turning in the air? Turning? He's doing slam and salmon. I don't know. I think I use, I tend to use a lot of body English. I grew up like you using uh, platform pedals a lot. Um, and so I think I do use a lot of body English. I point my toes when I'm pointing my hips, things like that. Um, so the pedals that I found work the best for me are HTs because you could tighten them so high that I like, I literally can't get out. I have to like lean up against a tree sometimes. <laughs> I don't run them that high though. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't use Crank Brothers. So yeah, I've used Crank Brothers. The problem here in Squamish is that when you're clipped in, um, you have the two wings that hang down below the shoe and there's a lot of rocks and ruts and things here in Squamish roots. And it would happen not super often, but like once or twice a week where the pedal, when it hit that, when it ground out on the ground or a rock or a root, and it would open the pedal and my feet would come off. Yeah. You got a lot going on there with your pedals. <laughs> I just clip in and go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I wish my life was that easy with pedals. Yeah. Yeah. So I use the HT. SPDs are so good right now. Like it's easy to get into them, fairly hard to get out of them. It's good. Yeah. I don't have issues, but yeah. Um, and I, I do like the Crank Brothers as well for that extra. Those Crank Brothers feel the closest to a flat pedal to me, like because the amount of float there, they're kind of they're super easy to get. Just kind of smash your foot on it and you're in. And I can definitely see why a lot of downhillers like those. I would like to use something besides HT just so I didn't have to rebuild my pedals every two months. They are yeah, they just tiny RC so, car bearings. Yeah, so fragile, so fragile. Pedals. What about shoes? 
Kaz, when you clip in, are you rocking like XC race shoes? What are you doing? No, I've kind of like a trail shoe, I guess you'd say. The ones, my favorite are like three years old now and I keep using them even though I'm supposed to be testing other shoes. Yeah. It's this yeah. Shimano one that has, it's got, what's it called? I don't know, it's a Shimano shoe lace up with a strap over the top of the laces, but it's just so comfy. Why wouldn't you want to use something sportier that's lighter, a little stiffer? Why wouldn't you go that route? I like having the flatter sole just for if I am walking around in the woods, it's trouncing. There's a little more comfortable. I think you do walk a lot more than I do. That's maybe the difference, Casper. <laughs> <Yeah, must be laughs> <it. laughs> oh, that was set up really well. Ayo. <laughs> I've been playing yeah, I like that the way for a that, month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the way that these shoes, the way your foot is on the pedal, it doesn't feel like you're, you feel close to the pedal. It's like a thinner sole basically and flatter. So you're not just the way the interface is is super comfy for me yeah. but yeah you like the disco slippers right you're in the full yeah yeah well i have clip clip clip, clip yes yeah i also don't like that <laughs> so my feet are going around it's rotating right i want my shoes to be light i want them to be stiff and efficient um a lot of the riding i'm doing right now is a little more fitness orientated but having saying that having said that I've also been using Boncher. Having said orientated, yes. Yeah. <laughs> having, having said the wrong word, <laughs> I've been using Bonchiger's rally shoes a lot, which are, you know, traily shoes with laces and a strap, and they're really flexible. And I like how they feel. They kind of feel like they're they feel like they're grabbing the pedal better, you know? Mm-hmm. Those are super comfy. I like yeah. those too. But those those Bontragers do look good. <laughs> Bonch- yeah. Good work, Bontrager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there was a Shimano AM7 shoe is what is my current favorite that I can't seem to get rid of because yeah. I like them. Lots of people kind like of falling apart. Shoes. Yeah, they're super nice. Are they, do you have the white ones? White? Are they no, white? no. Those aren't the old. You're thinking of the old AM9s. These are AM7s. Oh, okay. Shimano's numbered naming system it's is backwards. hard to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. This whole thing came out from uh, Mikey MT asking, asking for a dorking out on setup episode. So let's kind of go through all of the things. Let's go through all of all of the contact points and things that you can dork out on setup for. So we've talked pedals. Um, let's uh, let's talk bars. Seven hundred eighty mil wide, and then just a lot of times I don't switch out the ones on the bike for every bike because that would be silly and too much time. But as long as they're the right width, I can usually work around different sweep and rise. But these days I'm preferring around thirty mil rise, kind of a little more. I've gone higher in the rise. Maybe I'm getting older and less like. Free rider, lean over as much. Yeah, that, that depends on the bu- on the bike too. How much stack it has. Yeah, but overall, I still I prefer a higher rise bar. So thirty mil rise, and then I don't know. I just got some new bars, and I have nine mils of back sweep, and I like that. A nine degrees, sorry. Well, what what about up? Isn't nine five pretty normal for like back sweep? Yeah, I'm not so picky. Like you're into the full German realm of like mm-hmm. alt bars and stuff, but I like. I mean, I can get used to mm-hmm. most. Uh, I don't think I'm, that. When it comes to this, I can't be picky because we're riding, I'm riding a different test bike, you know, every other, every other week I'm on something else. Uh, so width, it's got to be at least 760, prefer 780, 800 feels a little wide. Um, I'm really liking these Ergon lock-on grips. I don't know what model they are, but they're actually a little thicker. Uh, and I'm using We Are One's carbon handlebar right now in stem, which they look really nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Grips are like DMR death grips or the... the- skinniest ODI grips. Like I have pretty big hands, but I like a really thin grip. I don't like the meaty paws or anything like that. Do either of you guys ever run non-lock-ons, just like push-on grips? No, I'm not in that no. game. I don't have time to wire on grips. Yeah, just that swapping stuff so much. I can't bother. Yeah. I, I went, for my bike last year, I went back to push-ons, and I got to say, I think, I think I'm think i going to switch to team push-on permanently. 
it's so nice just you've got more travel <laughs> yeah which is fine but if you had to swap yeah. between bikes like i have a, yeah yeah i don't have know, to do that a lot of test bikes do still come with grips that just don't fit my personal preference that is one thing i'll switch on test bikes is grips just to make it feel normal sometimes they're too uh the diameter is too big so swap them out but that's the only thing i don't change and like kaz i don't change handlebars anymore i will say kaz the only reason i'm interested in the in the uh full german different bars kind of thing is just to try stuff it's not yeah, yeah. no i, I think never, it's cool. i've never really thought about like i've never had a problem with eight four or nine five I'm not sure necessarily what everybody's talking about with this. Like I need 16 degrees of back sweep and it will change my life. Like I just, maybe I just don't have wrist problems or something, but yeah, I haven't either. I'm but just yeah, curious I to try it. We yeah, do have to try cool. that though. We got to get one of those yeah. things. Yeah. I, I do think that w- one of the things that's changing is that as reaches are getting long uh, for stability, there's stability advantages to longer reaches. People are still going to try and control their front center and having a bar with, with like 12 back 12 up or something is going to put you put you further back because stems can only go to like low 30s yeah. before mm-hmm. your handlebar hits your steer tube yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah and stem wise i usually always run a 40 mil stem no matter what just because I, I like where that puts my puts me in relationship to the fork do you put it are you saying you put a 40 mil stem on every test bike mm-hmm, pretty much but regardless of different front center lengths reach lengths yep. all that stuff yep interesting that way my hands are, are you i mean are relative to the seat Re- uh, relative not yeah. to the seat relative to the fork. well they're not though no my hands relative yeah. to the fork are always yeah. in the same place levy isn't there a story about you going to test camps back in the day with, yeah with a no, 70 mil stem not, or something no, yeah. we used to well, though people, back in the day like i would bring a 50 mil stem back in the day because the stems were like crazy long at all these camps we have to swap out things because it was silly yeah it, it used to make people upset and guess what? Now people sell their damn bikes with, you know, 50 millimeter or whatever stems. And before that, we used to all go, I used to bring dropper posts with me to press camps. How cool would it have been to have an access dropper post oh, to bring me to press camps? That would, would have been, been the dream. Jeez. So convenient. Is there anything you take to camps now apart from pedals? We don't have to go to camps anymore. The Rona. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think there is. Um, I know people who bring things like a plumb bob with them. Um, James. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's, kind of a, a, it's a sign of how good things have gotten that we don't have to. And at least the little things like bars and things tend to be pretty good. Sometimes I'll toss a set of grips in just because I'm picky about that. But yeah, pedals usually it. What's your brake lever, lever position like since we're on yeah, the bars? Mine are fairly high. They're not Yoan Borelli or French rider high, but uh, they've gotten higher over the last like four years. I just kind of, they started migrating up and then where the, where the levers engage is a little bit further out than it used to be too. Like back in the day when I, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, if you grab my bike, my levers are pretty much put it straight down and they engage really, really close to the bar. And now they've come up and they engage out further. So. <laughs> Did you ride with your elbows like fully flared? Like out or in? Action you pose. Like in? Yeah. Style, <laughs> like, yeah. I wasn't concerned about style. I just thought that's what you're supposed to do because your your brake levers had to match the angle of the trail you no. wanted to ride. Casimir, you weren't concerned about style? What are you talking about? No, it's free riding. We didn't care about style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sick yeah. one foot. Yeah, my levers are higher. Levy, what about you? Are you are you on team flat, flat no, God, uh, no. brake lever? No, I don't know how Yoan does it. I, I know why. We're going to have a zillion comments in here explaining why. But I know why. But no, my levers are pointed down a little more than Casimir's. Uh, I think my engagement point is a little farther in 
than his as well. Um, I think we both, we prefer different breaks as well too. I think Casimir is always, your bigger breaks are better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, the correct yeah. answer. Yeah, so yeah again, long. I've said yeah. it before, but I do like being <laughs> able to stop, but... so I don't know why you wouldn't want that. <laughs> yeah. Literally nobody's ever gotten to the bottom of a ride and been like, oh, you know what? Those extra 40 okay. grams Cat. of brakes were really ruined my ride. But how many people have gotten to the bottom of a ride and been like, oh my God, why have my brakes faded? Okay, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Question. Yeah. Casimir, you've got a 120 millimeter trail mm -hmm. bike, 120 front yeah. and back. It's got, you know, 800 gram tires on it, that yeah. kind of thing. It's a trail bike, Casimir. Yeah. Don't wreck it. Are you going to put like codes and saints on it sure. with 200 mil rotors? Not 200. I'd probably just do 180s. Yeah. yeah. That, they, 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 they literally weigh like 40 grams more. It's not even that much. Yeah. So I don't, it's I, like I would spend the dumb money on a carbon seat or literally anything else to save the money. You have thousand dollar brakes. <laughs> Trick stuff brakes. <Okay. laughs> Per end. <laughs> okay, but let's speaking talk of power, <laughs> let's not talk about my brake setup because my bike isn't even yeah. together yet. Let's let's go on to the next one, which is pretty big: tires, wheels, and pressures. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I, no. Let's let's talk about which you which your guys's brakes. What, what are your preferences on brakes? What is your current front runner on brakes for me? As building up the your ultimate yeah. bike, what what's... Uh, for me? It's still the the SRAM code brakes. They're just. They've been really consistent for me over the years. I've tried a bunch of different sets and haven't really had any issues. Um, and I like the way that they feel. They don't maybe have that outright power as far as like a Shimano Saint goes, but I kind of like having the better modulation. Yeah, I'm with Kaz there. I would do a code on, you know, anything six inchy and bigger. Uh, but I'm loving G2s right now. I think they feel they have a ton of power for trail bike riding. Uh, great feel, lots of modulation, not too much initial bite. Now, most of those TRPs that I reviewed like a couple of weeks ago, those were pretty impressive. So I'd I'd put those up on my list too. I could have, happily run those. They got lots of modulation, don't they? Yeah, well, the new pads are pretty good. They have a, like their new resin pad, but I don't. I usually hate resin pads, but I actually like their resin pad. And in fact, I swapped those to a set of Shimano brakes recently, and I liked how they felt. So. Let's move on to the to the big one: tires and wheels and pressures. So, yeah, what's the setup like? Yeah, I mean, the tires really depend on the bike. For a lot of times, we will keep the stock tires and just go with what comes on there. But if I had to pick for my own personal ride, uh, these days I'm really liking the Maxxis Asagai as a front tire, DHR2 as a rear, or the new Dissector as a rear when things get a little bit drier. Like, it's a pretty fun combo. And what uh, what wheels and what pressures? Pressures That's tend to be, yeah, around 20 to 21 up front, uh, 22 to 23 in the back, so fairly low. Kind of usually go with like a thicker ish casing, so maybe that XO plus or maybe double down depending on where I'm riding. But usually around here, I can get away with XO plus, no problems. And the wheels, like I'm fine with aluminum wheels, so I'm not a carbon snob, so I would probably just build up a nice set of DTs and call it good. Um, yeah, uh, so maybe. the bikes that I'm riding lately have all been shorter travel, they've been cross country and trail bikes. Um, and I mean, I'm loving the classic Hans Dampf. To be honest with you, I don't like that tire at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have you ridden the new one? Yeah, it, the new one is better. Like since yeah. they updated it. When you say yeah. classic, it's... I was thinking of the original, which I did not like. The new one is better, uh, but I'm still yeah. not. Yeah, so I am. I do mean I am referring to the new one. Mm -hmm. You know that classic Constance name, right. I guess. But yeah, He's... yeah. But it, yeah. I think for something bigger, Kaz, an Askai up front and that DHR two in the back, like that's a combo that is pretty hard to beat. Yeah. Um, I was running that on that Deviate Highlander and like, yeah, it's idiot proof and pressures are 
I weigh about the same as you. Pressures are same. I'm not running any inserts. On a trail bike, 235 Hans Dampf. That's what I have on those wide revolve wheels right now. And uh, today's a dry day. So, you know, I'm going to go a little more tire pressure because the speeds are going to be a little higher. None of you are on wide trail stuff. You can stick a little smaller. So, no, I don't like 2.6 inch tires. They feel too balloony. They're still close to mid, like to plus bikes to me. So, I run a 2.5 or a 2.4 up front and then a 2.4 in the rear typically. Kaz, how much are you farting around with tire pressures? Not a ton. Uh, it usually stays pretty consistent. Like it, Some of it depends on the tire brand. Like Some have stiffer sidewalls or the casing feels stiffer, so I might need to drop pressure to get it to feel the way I want. Um, but it usually is in the low 20s. Are You you live by that Topeak air gauge like I do. Oh, yeah. That yeah, I check my tire yeah, pressure. It's so the, good. Yeah, half pound before every ride. Just So I leave tire pressures the same on longer travel stuff usually, uh, but on short travel stuff where there's less room for air, I definitely do move some tire pressures and suspension settings too, actually. A couple days ago, I went out for a a really wet ride and I was on my 100 millimeter Mondraker and I was getting beat up. The bike was sliding everywhere and I realized that the tire pressures were a couple PSI too high and the suspension pressure was too high as well too. On something like that, it makes such a huge difference. But six inch stuff, yeah, no, I don't change pressures at all usually. Yeah, but yeah, if it is getting really sketchy and sloppy and just gross out. I will drop pressure a little bit. And then sometimes I'll swap tires. Same thing for if it's really wet around here. I mean, those, the Askai DHR, you can get away with riding pretty much any kind of trail conditions, but, um, I do have like, what's your favorite mud tire, Kaz? Uh, well, I can't say, but my new favorite, it's really good and it's coming out soon, but <laughs> when, yeah. I know there's too many secrets out there. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Too, Dude, too many yeah, secrets. But the sec- I've been putting, it's because it's because the Rona, everybody's I know, pushing everything but, back with the yeah. Rona. It's so I annoying. do like the specialized hillbilly and this other one that's coming out is not specialized, but I've been running that. I just have a wheel set up with it as a front. So when it's super nasty out, I toss on the front and I run this with a DHR two in the back and it's really good. That Do you have a rotor on that wheel already? Yeah, yeah. The rotor's already on. It's super cool. Yeah, it's already. Oh, that is such a bike editor yeah. thing. Yeah. But yeah. it's nice. Like, <laughs> oh, hold on. Let me just go get my yeah, mud wheel. Yeah, I have wheel. a mud wheel now. Are you still, are you still running Durbarons? Continental Durbarons? Uh, no, those amazing. are really good. I don't have those right now, but I do like that in the wet. That's one of my favorite. Like when it's yeah. like for some reason that tire actually has grip on slippery roots. I don't know how it does it. But it's incredible. Yeah. 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 It's so I wish it didn't weigh eight pounds per tire, but yeah. yeah. And I also got those Michelin uh the wild enduro tires i really like those and the their downhill ones are good too but they're just pretty heavy but yeah lots of tires always messing around with things but i definitely tend to prefer more aggressive tires all right well before we go to the shock setup where i know you guys are a little bit different let's let's go to the most polarizing one and i think the one that uh kicked mikey mt's question off originally which was uh saddle position do either of you guys mess around with that nose super down style that's that we see more and more of no i'm pretty level uh with my seat One thing that I do do, though, is I put the seat in the central position on the rails on my test bikes usually, just so that gives me like a consistent idea of what that seat angle feels like across like all the bikes that I'm riding. So you're trying to ride the bike as an as intended by the designer rather than maybe your preference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If we're talking about test bikes, the seat would usually go in the middle. And from there, if I do have to move it, uh, it usually slides forward if I have to move it and not backwards. Um, yeah. Yeah. For mine, it's usually pretty slammed forward and the nose down just a little bit, not crazy down, like not pointing straight down, but that's kind of a personal preference thing. But it is funny when the comments of people try to call you out for having the wrong seat position, which you know everyone's different, a, right? Like, <laughs> do you guys remember when when seats had to all be tilted back a yeah, little for, bit? Well, yeah, oh, yeah. 
That was like in fashion yeah. for a while. But yeah, usually like, uh, yeah, move it forward. But as seat angles are getting steeper, then now it, I don't have to usually slam them as, as far forward. But. I kind of like the idea of that nose super far down. It just doesn't work for me in practice. Like I like the idea of you're riding up a very steep thing. So you tilt it down and then you're it's flat when you're climbing something steep. But I don't know. It just doesn't. I just find I'm sl- it just has me sliding yeah, forward. It's all just. Maybe I need to have a steeper seat tube angle to, I don't know. Casimir, do you have a saddle preference? Uh, is there like is there a seat where you're like, this is my seat? Yeah, I like, I have two, I think, right now. Like the Ergon, they have so many names, like SME3 or something. It's kind of their Enduro saddle. So that one's pretty comfy. And then the WTB Coda, which was originally kind of aimed at the women's side of things, but it's, it's it doesn't matter now, I guess. The, uh, yeah, it's just a little bit shorter and comfy. I'll tell you about the weird Tiogas that I like so oh, much. Oh, those things. <laughs> Everybody, say they don't have any padding for the most part. They're just like a, it's the shell and it's got this relief webbing thing cut into it. And the idea is the shell flexes and that provides the comfort that the padding would provide. And it, yeah, it works really well. Seat comfort comes down to shape. Shape is the biggest factor in seat comfort. Uh, and one thing that can ruin that comfort is having too much padding because you sink into it it's putting pressure in all sorts of places while you're pedaling that you shouldn't have pressure that's so sorry just so i understand like the your sit bones sink into the padding because your bones are bones and then the padding although it's soft it's still harder than your junk so it pushes into your stuff i think it's just your soft tissue is is still softer than the padding yeah. How, however you want to put it, big, soft, comfy seats that you sit into, bad for pedaling. Yeah. 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 So I had uh, I had to quit the BC bike race one year, not because of a saddle sore, because of a concussion. But if I hid, if I didn't, if I hadn't have hit my head, I would have had to quit for the saddle sore that I had. And I have a, I had, a, I have a scar from it, and it is. I had to lance that motherfucker. <laughs> it was fucking gnarly. <laughs> That's crazy. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you use bib shorts that are good people. Or don't wear chamois. And if it feels bad, stop and fix Except it. Except chamois or long for most rides and it's better. Tell me about you guys actually are quite different on short yeah. setup. Uh, yeah, we definitely we'll prefer a different setup. Kaz, you go first. Uh, mine's the right way and I'd say it's pretty neutral. <laughs> I you know, everything's so I start in the middle. I wouldn't say it's overly stiff, overly soft, so which is kind of I know some people really like that, but super hard fork at least. Um and mine's, I'd say, yeah, pretty neutral. Like most people could hop on. If I have riding buddies that hop on my bike, they're similar weight. They're usually pretty comfortable with it too. Um, what what sag uh, normally? I don't measure the front sag. I'd say it's probably around 15 to 20% in the front, but um, I'd go by feel on that. And then in the rear, it depends on the bike as always. But um, yeah, 30% is kind of the general rule of thumb to start. Shorter travel bikes typically is closer to 25% sag, but nothing really out of the ordinary there. I do like a more progressive setup, so... Um, I will stick the token in or volume spaces if I need to. Uh, so obviously a lot depends on, well, everything depends on the bike when it comes to suspension setup. So rear sag, I usually prefer what the manu- what the manufacturer recommends. Uh, nothing out of the norm there. If anything, I might go, I might run a little less sag just because I usually prefer a bike that is a little more playful. Uh, so that gives me less suspension to pull through when I want to leave the ground. And like Kaz, I don't measure sag up front. I go by feel. Um, and I do tend to prefer a little bit stiffer uh, fork up front, but I think that's more of a symptom of where I live, Squamish. It's pretty steep here. Kaz, I bet in the grand scheme of things, relative to riders around the country, your fork is also 
a little bit stiffer than what most people would prefer because I know you're riding the same yeah, kind possibly of I mean, stuff. a bit more than it, yeah. It's a little on the it's air volume chart. It's usually specific. the higher end of the air volume recommended pressure or whatever. But I wouldn't say it's out of the ordinary. It's not like Gwyn's setup where it's just super solid until you go in 200 miles an hour. I think he softened it up a probably yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, one thing where I do differ from Kaz a lot. <laughs> I do like a slower low speed rebound setup. I just feel like I have more control packing up. I don't know. You know, I'm not a big believer that that actually happens. <laughs> well, yours never returns. It's always at the bottom. So you can't feel yeah. <laughs> it just like stuck down. Okay. People we're talking like two extra clicks of rebound damping here. It's not like my things are completely close, close. but they are noticeably, <laughs> no, no, no. They're noticeably slower than Casimir's. And when I get on someone else's bike with a, a more traditional fast rebound setup and I ride it, it just feels like I have less control. It's because you're doing those uh, big Utah hucks to, to like <laughs> yeah. one hitters and you just, you know, you don't want to get bucked over yeah. the front. All those, all those road gaps I'm sending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a symptom of different riding style or do you think it's more of a just a straight up mental preference. I think a lot of it has to come from riding, you know, 10 years ago when things were less polished, suspension was less polished, and a lot of things had less low speed compression. So I was I would run more low speed rebound. It's counterintuitive, but it would sort of calm down that pitching that having not enough low speed compression to hold the bike up. Go ahead. I think you were also running riding bikes that were like 300 mil reach so anything that would help you from pitching over yeah, the front was great. The back. we all were this is different times we all were <laughs> yeah but you resisted you resisted longer than most i did i did and i think i would still i still prefer uh a little bit shorter bike but i guess it depends on the riding like you know that that pole with a 480 millimeter front end like i've said it a million times before and i'll say it again that thing was mind-blowing but there's still a place for you know, an old Ripley with a 440 millimeter reach that the bike feels playful and lively. And yeah, there's no wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So in the original comment that kicked this off, he was commenting about people whose whose seats are clearly tilted wrong and that sort of thing. And I would just say, yeah, there, there are, there is right and wrong, but some of these setup things, not so much. Yeah. See, you can't, criticize anyone on their seat uh, really just because everyone's different and if it makes you comfortable while you're riding and you're not having issues then you should do that setup kaz is there anything about your setup that's weird like do you have like a something that you bolt on your bike that people are like what the fuck is that or like something that you do that's different or not really like it's pretty normal i think i always feel like maybe one of my brake levers is like different than the other but I think it's perfect. That's because it and like is. Your stem, my stem is probably like crooked, you know, but for me, it all feels good. 100%. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like, yeah. Those things are always, but uh, but yeah, there's nothing like super wacky, I wouldn't say, about my bike setup. Levy, what about you other than saddlebag? And Tioga saddles. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're on seat bags, <laughs> seat too. Bags make, yeah. yeah, seat bags. I don't have any seat bags right now. I wrecked That's it, good. actually. Yeah. Proud of you. <laughs> I guess guess how I wrecked it. Yeah. <laughs> Buzzing your tire. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, it's road weird setup things. I mean, I run my pedals extremely tight. Um, I think a lot of people, if they got on my bike and they put my shoes on and tried to clip in and then clip out, they'd be like, what the hell is going on? I tend to, I prefer, if I, 
If I could pick, I would usually go with a bit bigger chain ring just because my cadence is a little bit slower. I prefer a little bit slower cadence sometimes. So like bikes come with a 30 and I would prefer a 32 sometimes, maybe even a 34 depending on where I'm riding. But other than that, yeah. A lot of bikes are coming back and coming with 32s again. They should. Just for you. We have 52 cogs. Like, what? I remember, I remember being at the uh, at a oh, Yeti like press camp. Stevie, so you're oh more in shape than most people. There's a lot of people that just can barely, like, get yes. up the hill that's in their backyard. Like, so let them have their easy rings. You put their bigger there's, and there's nothing wrong. ring on there. Yeah, it costs yeah. you nothing. It's Doesn't easier affect- than when we had three chain rings, people. But they still need help. We don't. Uh, there's no people. Levy, here's the thing. If you go down to a 32 or to a 30, you'll have more anti-squat. I know how it works. <laughs> and your bike will feel yeah. so much better. Yeah. Oh, you'll be more efficient all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Hill runs a 32, so I think you'll be all right. What about you, Brian? Smartass over there with all the, yeah, all the I got snide to, remarks. I got to yeah. from the He's got a new futuristic <laughs> triangle ring. It's past oval. It's the new thing. Yeah. Brian, tell <laughs> us about, t- speaking of weird, you got that moots going on. I'm sure it's got weird shit going on in there. Well, the Moots is the Moots is stock, and I've only had it out for a couple of rides. Just to the, the seawall setup, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it turns out that a boomer bike also needs boomer trails. Yeah. So I think the biggest setup thing there is that I'm going to have to learn how to ride a lot more over the front end because that's the only place there's suspension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm pretty regular on stuff. Flat pedals. Um, what about your I'm, your shoulders? Are, yeah, you got some pretty rough shoulders. Is there anything setup wise that you do there? A high stack. That's about it. Just I'm I'm always worried about pulling. I, that pulling motion is pretty hard. So try and run a higher front end this year. See how that goes. I'm curious about these. Uh, I've got some of those Newman bars that are nine degrees up, nine degrees back, and that's an interesting thing. Brake lever position is fairly close in. Not a lot of throw. I don't like a lot of throw, and I really like a super firm engagement i don't believe in modulation it's not a thing i just use my finger it's, it's fine um uh i just want a full-on anchor tires wheels pressures i go regular alloy wheel I'm not too fussed about engagement there's a reason i'm not a technical editor i just run dhr2s it's all i've done in forever saddle position is it's or slightly nose down i've been riding that specialized power arc which is not really a designed as a trail kind of saddle but i really like the shape and that little kick up at the back i i think it's a good way to get some of the benefits of that nose down style without having your nose down and sliding off the front um and then shock setup i'm super boring um pretty similar to what kaz described there you go mikey mt is that enough for you yeah that's a lot of details you know all about (laughs) us now (laughs) yeah i think i think we covered a lot of ground there let's uh let's go on to comment gold boys this is from Pacific Northwest. He said, wrong. Clearly my bike has a perfect geometry. I know because it was expensive and convincing myself it is perfect allows me to justify the cost of buying it. Ah, good old confirmation good bias. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's good. Uh, it's, I'm glad people recognize that. I do the same thing with everything else. I'm n- once I've bought something, I will never, I will never look at a review on that thing again. I will try and join a like, a community about it for support of like how to fix my motorcycle rather than like, I've already decided don't, don't you dare tell me it's bad. Yeah. (laughs) My TW 200 is the best street bike. It is the best street bike. Obviously (laughs) it goes like 40 kilometers an hour. Yeah. Sometimes. 
<laughs> Chicken Strips had a good one. I think this was on the Geometry Explainer as well, too. He says, I don't care about facts. I just came here for the price tag so I could say preposterous in a very loud voice. What was that one on? I don't think that was on the Geometry Explainer. Yeah, maybe that one. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the expensive Uno gets people talking. Uh, so, and speaking of Uno, that's a bike that always gets people talking. Big Medicine says, I have absolutely no idea what any of this means. That was on the behind the numbers on the Uno Dash. Dan's got a lot of info in there, doesn't he? Yeah, there's a lot. And if you're, you know, for someone that's not super dialed in with all that, it can be overwhelming. It can make you feel like you're in physics class or any of those other subjects you might have failed in high school. But yeah. we're trying to have you know, articles that go a little deeper and have some information um, as well as some things that help explain the concepts, but it's a lot and you might not absorb it all at once. I know I have to read them a few times to really figure out what's going on. We're just trying to bring something a little more objective to the table when it comes Mm -hmm. to talking about bikes. And I will admit that I am always relieved when Dan's analysis matches what I said in the bike reviews. And that was the case this time. Thank the Lord. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And then to finish it, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of this one from the uh, from Kaz's uh, pedal twelve flat pedals, ridden and rated. Uh, WRCDH says you should have included a shin and calf gauge picture from each pedal. And I think we're going to have to institute that uh, that Ooh. testing protocol from the future. <laughs> Kaz, <laughs> you painful. you probably got some stories, eh? <laughs> I'm not really. I use five ten shoes with sticky rubber, so like it's. I mean, I definitely have had pedals smash into my shins and calves and things, but. These days, it's pretty rare. Do you remember that one on the back of my calf from Crankworks like five years ago? Oh, yeah. that was It was like a bear claw like attacked you. It was yeah. so bad. <laughs> I remember th- back in the day we were having, when we ran three chain rings, like, did you ever get the full chain ring yep. into your calf and yep. feel it, like puncture each one? Like, ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah, that was odd. Gross. I remember riding up a hill. Some reason I had the bike on my left side in an XC race, and then I pushed the bike forward and just jammed that big chain ring into my back of my calf. The good thing with that is that it pushes all the grease and mud that's stuck to it into your body as well, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think TriFlow is an anticoagulant, right? It helps prevent you from bleeding. (laughs) My calf bled for two weeks. Yeah. It does seem like we get a lot less uh, Schinberger style injuries. Yeah. Pedals are thinner too. They don't flip over and like come back and smack you as much. Is that what it is? Or is it just we're doing less no footers out of, out of the fly out? That could be too. There's less skinnies. So you're doing less of like falling and weird. I don't now know. the we're adults, we clip in more now too. Could be it too. But all those pedals, <laughs> I tested, my shins look all right. So yeah, I don't know. The right shoes make a difference. But um, if I had sliced myself in a nasty way, that picture would have been included. But Oof. luckily I didn't. I'll, I'm waiting for the next flat pedal review, Casimir. We should, yeah, not you should assign no. it to somebody else. <laughs> Le- Leapy's doing it. <laughs> yeah, you. Next flat pedal review. You're doing all plastic flat pedals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, everybody. That's it for episode 10 of the Pink Bike Podcast. Please keep your feet on the pedals. And if you do get shin gashes, send them to us. We want to see them. Take care. Take care.